want to speak this morning um, on worship, worship, true worship. And God has called us, each one of us, to be worshippers, be worshippers of the, the living and the true God. And true worship, true worship is, it is the spiritual, emotional, mental, physical expression of man's whole being poured out and directed to God, you know, in thanksgiving and veneration and adoration. And possibly the most well-known verse in the Bible on worship comes from John's Gospel in chapter 4 when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. And I'm always amazed that, you know, she received, this woman at the well, here she'd been married and divorced five times and she was living with someone now who was not a husband. But yet somehow the Lord saw her heart and a thirst for God. And she received, this woman, she received one of the greatest revelations given to anybody in the whole of the word of God. And in John's Gospel in chapter 4, verse 23, 24, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to worship, worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, the Lord, if the Lord has to seek for worshipers, they must be hard to find. And I'm sure the Lord is going around our congregation seeking for true worshipers. And Jesus said, a worshiper, a true worshiper will worship in spirit, will worship in truth. What an amazing revelation she received. And the Lord saw her heart. She had a, a soft heart towards God. She had a repentant heart before the Lord. She wanted to forsake the old way, the sinful way. And she wanted to express her love and adoration to the Lord. When we read some of the passages from the book of Revelation, you know, we see the multitudes in heaven gathered around the throne of God. And what were they doing? They're worshipping the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And we're called to worship, not just in this life, but even through all eternity. In Revelation 4, verse 10 and 11, the four and twenty elders, they fall down before him that sat on the throne. And John, God is giving John this, this glimpse into heaven, this revelation, this vision into what's happening in heaven. And he sees these 12, 24 elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And as we heard in prophecy this morning, you know, we want to cast our thrones before the Lord with those precious you know, jewels and diamonds and jewels that are in them. And, you know, as we worship the Lord, 
That is one of the ways. You know, we're going to have precious jewels in our crown. And verse 11, For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 4, that's chapter 4. Chapter 5 of Revelation, beginning at verse 8. And when you had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I saw the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, the beasts or the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. Oh, just imagine that scene, you know, in heaven, worshipping the Lord of glory, worshipping our heavenly Father, seated upon his throne forever and ever and ever. Again in chapter 7 and verses 9 to 11, And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and, and about the elders, and the four beasts, the four living creatures, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God. And then again in Revelation 11, 15 and 16, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces. And what do they do? They worshipped God. They worshipped God. You know, Probably our highest calling, or certainly one of our highest callings, is to be worshippers. All of heaven worships the Lamb. Throughout eternity, we will be worshipping the Lord of glory. And, you know, we surely want to get used to this here on earth. The first commandment that Jesus gave, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, with your whole being. That was the first commandment 
to worship, to love him with all our being. And then the second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in Matthew 22, verse 37. Now, I want to look now at just two or three differences between praise and worship. We're talking about praise last Sunday morning and the importance of praise, the power of praise, the sacrifice of praise. But praise and, praise and worship are, are, you know, are very similar and they go together and sometimes is an overlapping between the two. And yet there's a distinction between praise and between worship. And when I was in India, there, you know, the, the, the main ingredients of every meal was basically, you know, a pile of rice, big plate of rice. Sometimes you'd eat it on a plate, but oft, many times we sat down on the cross-legged on the, on the ground and had a banana leaf for a plate and our utensils were our fingers and, you know, there was rice, big bowl, and then there was the curry. You know, everything's curry, vegetable curry, egg, egg curry, chicken curry, beef curry, this curry, that curry. Everything's curry, everything's hot. Hot, hot, hot. And what you do, you mix together with your fingers the, the, the juicy curry with the rice and get it all through, and then you pick up a bit and you, you'd, you'd eat it and you'd eat it. And so rice and curry. Uh, but, you know, when there's definitely the rice, which is separate, and the curry, which is separate. Two distinct things. But when you're eating them, it's almost that they're, they're mixed together and, and, and they become one, or, or they certainly overlap. And so when we think of praising God, you know, we pray to praise God, to celebrate the Lord, to glory in the Lord, to bless the Lord, to commend the Lord, to confess, sometimes to shout unto the Lord. Whereas worship is more in a stillness. Worship is more to bow down, to fall down, the thought of reverencing, adoring, expressing our devotion and our love for him and for all he is and all he's done. You know, to praise, and like you can praise, you can praise people, and we should praise people. And we praise, it's good to praise your children when they do well. Husbands, praise your wife. Wives, praise your husband. That, that, that is good. And, and people you know, who, who work hard in that, they, they should, be, should be praised for what they do. And that is important. But uh, obviously, you can't, you, know, you can't worship people. Only God is to be worshipped. And praise is important. But to praise God without worshipping him is not enough. And God wants our praise to lead us into worship. Because in worship, you know, that, that brings us to the throne. It brings us to the presence of the living God. And a, a major distinction between praise and worship, we have here in the, the acidate here, praise, we praise him. We praise him for what he has done. 
the things that he's done for us. We praise him for Psalm 150 in verse 2, it tells us, praise him for his mighty acts. We praise him for his mighty acts. We praise him for his power. We praise him for the way that he's heard us. We, we praise him for the way he's answered prayer. And praise him for his mighty acts. You know, the children of Israel, they were to praise him. He, he, he opened the Red Sea, and they, three million people went across the Red Sea. And then the waters came back again, and the Egyptians and their chariots and the soldiers were drowned in the sea. I mean, what the Bible is full from, from the beginning to the end of miracle after miracle after miracle of God's mighty acts. And in our lives, you know, when God answers prayer, when God helps us, when we see his acts in our lives, we're to praise him for that. You know, praise you, Lord. Praise you. Lord, you heard my prayer. You answered my prayer. Praise you, Lord. Lord, you saved this person I've been praying for. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I had that sickness, and I cried to you. And Lord, you helped me. You healed me. Lord, I praise you. We praise him for what he has done. We praise him for his mighty acts. And that is right, and that is good, and we're, we're told, we're told that we should, we should do this. But worship, it goes to a whole different level. And their worship, we don't just praise, we praise for what he's done, but we worship him for his person, for who he is. He is God. He is the Holy One. He is the creator of the universe. We worship him not just because of his blessing or his answers to prayer or his mighty acts or the things that he's done, but we worship him for who he is. He's the living God. I mean, it's just incredible that somehow the living God, the creator of this immense, vast universe, which we can't, cannot even fathom, it's so great. And yet somehow we're just like a piece of dust and yet, and yet, God values us. And he comes to live in us when we're saved and born again. And we can know and have relationship with the actual creator of the... I mean, it's incredible, incredible. So worship, we worship him, not just because of what he does... But even if he doesn't answer prayer, even if we feel maybe he's let us down or whatever, you know, it's not just a mat worship. It's not a, ma a matter of just praising him because of answered prayer or things that he's done, but we worship him for who he is. Psalm 99, 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. The Lord our God is holy. We can thank, we can praise another human being, but as I, as I said, only God can be worshipped. Only God can be worshipped. I love my wife very much. We've been married for nearly 50 years, and my love grows and grows. And I think that's reciprocal. <laughs> and... But I love her, I love her, not just because what she does for me. I don't say, well, wife, I, I love you so much because those meals you cook, oh, they're so tasty. 
I mean, I appreciate she cooks good meals. She does many other things for me. But the basis of my love is not what she does. I love her because she's my wife, of who she is, of who she is. And about worship. Worship is not just need-orientated. Worship is not just based on whether God blesses me or whether he doesn't. But, you know, worship, we're coming with our whole being and pouring out our whole being in love and adoration to the living God, to the living God. And, you know, think of Job. What an incredible person he is. I mean, amazing person. I mean, he was probably one of the richest men of his time. He had, you know, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. And then God blessed him with seven sons and three daughters. I mean, he had, you know, so much wealth and everything. But Job's trust, he didn't acknowledge God or, or minister to the Lord just because of that blessing that he, he got. Because God allowed, God tested Job and God allowed Satan to take all those blessings away. And you know, in one day, there was disaster after disaster after disaster. He lost his sheep, he lost his camels, he lost his oxen, he lost his she-asses. There was like a tornado and the house fell down where the sons and daughters were, seven sons, three daughters, and they were all killed. I mean, and, and then later on, later on, you know, even his wife says, well, when he had all the boils or, or sores all over his body, even his wife, you know, curse God and die. But what was Job's reaction? I mean, what did he do? I mean, this amazing man, Job 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, Job 1, 20, 21, the, the, then Job arose and he rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And what did he do? He fell down and he worshipped. He worshipped. He worshipped. And he said these amazing words, naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, that he could speak like that after, you know, losing so much. Absolutely amazing, absolutely supernatural. And, you know, regardless of whether he had all that cattle and all those riches and a blessed family, regardless of that. You know, Job's heart loved the Lord. Job was one who would worship God, you know, regardless of whether the blessing was there or whether it was not. It was not just because, you know, certain needs were met. And God is wanting to take us on in worship. God's wanting to take us to new heights in worship. He's wanting to take us to greater depths in worship. He's wanting his presence to come, even his tangible presence, to come in our midst in fresh ways. 
Now, a second, a second difference between praise and worship. Praise is mainly expressed by our soul, by our body. You know, we, 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 we clap our hands, we, we dance before the Lord, uh, but particularly our soul. And as we looked last week, we saw that praise involves our soul, our mind. Praise involves our emotions, our, our, our feelings. Praise involves our will to make, a decision, to make decisions, right decisions. And so in Luke 1 and verse 46, it tells us there, and you know, Mary is just exalting the Lord, and, and, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. His soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. Or, or, or we could say, my soul praises the Lord. My will, my emotions, my feelings, my intellect, my soul, it praises and magnifies the Lord. Now, we are made of, we are, we, are, we are like God. God is one. God is three. We are one. We are three. We have a spirit. We have a soul. And we have a body. And worship, it doesn't come from our body. It doesn't proceed from our soul, from our mind, our emotions, our, our, our will. No, worship proceeds from our innermost being. Worship proceeds from our, from our spirit. It's through our spirit we have the ability to communicate with the living God. And that's why Jesus said, we're to worship the Father. The, the, the Father seeks worshippers, John 4.23, who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we must pray, and we need to pray that our worship, you know, will not be soulish, not, ju not just from our feelings, our emotions, our, our, or not just from our natural thinking and our natural mind, but that our worship will, will originate, it will, it will come, it will flow forth, even from our spirit. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 speaks about our spirit, our soul, and our body being blameless under the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a third a third way, a third difference between praise and worship. Now, praise is what we do in order to enter into God's presence. I will enter his, I will enter his gates with praise. I will enter his gates with praise. In other words, it's what we do in order that we can enter the presence of God. And praise can begin, you know, outside the manifest presence of God, although it can cause us, as we begin to praise, it can cause us to enter, to enter in and to lead us and to bring us into God's wonderful presence. And worship, worship is what we, is what we do when we come into God's presence. Praise leads us to God's presence, but worship is what we do in God's presence. As Revelation 4 and verse 10 says, it says, speaking there, which that verse we've, we've just read, about falling down before him, 
Those, the angels and the 24 elders and the living creatures, you know, they, they, they fell down before him, fell down before him, and they worshipped him. So worship, it begins in the presence of God. So we personally, so we can, so we personally, you know, relate to the one we are worshipping. And that's why, you know, praise songs often they're faster, we, we clap our hands, we rejoice, you know, we shout sometimes, sometimes we dance unto the Lord, but that is lead, to lead us into worship songs. And worship songs generally, I mean, they're focused not on me, they're focused on the Lord and, and lifting him up and exalting him and adoring him and ministering unto, unto him. And generally, you know, they're, 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 they're quieter songs, uh, generally, it's more appropriate rather than clapping our hands to, to lift our hands and surrender and, and worship um, unto the Lord. And I want to encourage each one of you. Encourage the, Remember when you come to church, you're not just coming to receive, although I pray that you all do receive, but we should come in our heart with the attitude, can I come this morning? Lord, I want to come to give. I want to come to bless. I want to come to worship you. Lord, I want to get lost in your presence. And Lord, help me to, to minister to you. And then, you know, we want to minister to God and, and also to, to be able to, and somehow just to minister to somebody else, maybe with a smile, maybe with just a, you know, just a few words, positive words, appreciation or something. We, we, we thank God for, for, for somebody else. And so we can, we can give. Uh, you know, unto others. A beautiful story about worship, which I really love, and that's in Luke's Gospel in chapter 7. Luke's Gospel in chapter 7. And it's where Jesus anointed this sinner woman. And it's on the occasion when Simon, he was a Pharisee, caught up with all the rules and regulations of the law. And this, but this Pharisee by the name Simon, you know, he invited Jesus to come to eat at his house. And it's a, it's a beautiful description of worship in this passage. And it explains what worship is, even though the word worship is not used in this passage. But by what happens, worship is explained. And you know, in the New Testament, there's different Greek words used for worship. But the most common one is a Greek word, proskunio, proskunio. And proskunio, it, it really just means to, to fall forward, to, to bow or to fall towards, like to prostrate, and to kiss. Pros means to, to fall towards. And then cuneo, it simply means to kiss, to kiss. So it's like a, an expression of, of reverence, of, of adoration, an intimate you know, expression of love. And in Luke 7 and verse 38, speaking of this woman, and this woman, Jesus was eating, and as the custom was in those times, they would eat at a low table, 
and they would rest often an elbow on the table and their feet would be behind them and they would eat. And so on this low table, Jesus would have been eating food from this table, but his feet would have been behind him. And this sinner woman, who'd no doubt been a prostitute, and she came in and she stood at the feet of Jesus. She stood there at the feet of Jesus. And it was like proscunio. She fell down at his feet. She was like prostrated before his feet. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with the hair of her head. So first she washed his feet with her hair, with her, with her tears. And then after, with her tears washing her feet, then she dried his feet with her, with her hair, which she let down. And then after that, she kissed his feet. And then after that, she anointed his feet with a special alabaster box of, of, of oil. Very costly. Often a bride would break it at a, at a, at a wedding. And it was, it was valued at something like 300 pence or 300 denarius. And a, a denarius or a pence was, was working man's wages for one day. So it was like more than a year's wages. A huge value. And this woman, this woman, she came. And this costly, costly, the best she had, everything she had, she bought this precious ointment and she broke it and she anointed the feet of Jesus. And there was a release of great emotion. After she dried, dried the, dried the, with her hair, she, after she dried the feet of Jesus, then she, she, she kissed the feet of Jesus. And in the Greek it says she kissed repeatedly, over and over. In other words, she smothered his feet with kisses. And there was nothing, there was nothing wrong, there was nothing sensuous in any way, but it was, it was, just, it was an expression of worship, of like bowing towards, prostrating towards, and, and kissing. And there was a release of, of, of great emotion, uh, emotion. And, you know, four, four things that she did. She, she stood at his feet behind him, washing his feet with her tears. And that was not the custom at that time. That was not the custom at that time. The custom at that time was, you know, normally the servant would come, one of the lower servants would bring water and would wash the feet of a guest. And she did that. And then secondly, she dried her feet by letting her hair, letting her hair down. And the custom in those times, you would never let your hair all go loose like that. In other words, she broke that, that custom and she wiped them with the hairs of her head. But it was, it was Simon. He'd not even shown you know, the, the courtesies of the day. So against the custom of that time, she wiped his, his feet with her hair. And then thirdly, she kissed his feet. And so 
It's like proscunio, she bowed before. She kissed his feet. She smothered his feet with kiss kisses. And then fourthly, then she anointed his feet with this most precious thing she had, this precious alabaster box of oil. And again, that was not the custom of that time. The custom of that time was that the, the host who's hosting the meal would go out and would, would often kiss the guest on the cheek. That was the, that was the custom. That was the, the, the normal way of greeting. But Simon had not done these things. And so Jesus tells this parable to Simon. And he's speaking about this creditor. And there's two debtors. One owes 500, one owes 50 pence. One is a big amount, one is a small amount. One first amount is 10 times more than the others. Both of them were unable to pay. Both were forgiven. And Jesus asked Simon the question, who do you think loves the most? The one who was forgiven 500 denarius or the one who was forgiven 50 denarius? And Simon answered, and he said, well, I suppose the one who has been forgiven the most will, will love the most. You see, Simon, he, he was just caught up with outward holiness. He, he had no appreci appreciation of what true worship is. His love for the Lord was obviously very shallow. And Jesus has to rebuke him. And he says to Simon, Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. That is the custom of the day, to, to get someone to bring water to, to wash my feet. They get very dusty in the streets of that time. But this woman, this woman, she washed my feet with her tears. And they were genuine tears of repentance and of love and adoration. And then Jesus says to, to, to Simon, Simon, you do not have a servant dry my feet. But she let down her hair, and with her hair, She dried my feet. Jesus said, Simon, you did not greet me with a kiss on the cheek, which was the normal thing to do. Like a handshake, like a hug, greeting. But this woman, she's repeatedly, you know, kissed my feet. And, he said, and then he says, Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman, you know, with this precious alabaster ointment has anointed my feet. So Jesus tells Simon that her sins, which were many, were forgiven. She loved much. She forgot everybody else but Jesus, and she truly worshipped him. There was true repentance from a former lifestyle and a willingness to give herself totally to the Lord. And you know, often those who realize the pit they were in before the Lord saved them, often they can be the ones who are passionately, you know, in love with the Lord. And the Lord is seeking for true worshipers. It's because they're hard to find. Are we going to be true worshipers? The Lord is seeking. The Lord is looking. Are we going to respond to him? Are we going to respond to him? God wants us to be a true worshiper.
And I want us to pray this morning that God would help us to, to enter into worship. You know, there's certain things that, that we can do. We can do. We can begin to come into his presence. We can be still. We can lift our hands to the Lord. We can begin to speak. You know, praise. And as we, as we praise the Lord and, and bless the Lord, it's going to prepare us for worship. And the Lord is wanting to come. He's, he is wanting to manifest himself more than we want him to manifest himself. He's desiring to come down. He wants intimacy. He wants a deep relationship. Oh, that each one here, we would become true worshippers. We're all at a certain level. No one's arrived. But we want to go on and go deeper and go higher and become those who will truly worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You know, we've been called, and the prophetic word has come forth very clearly. We're to be a worshipping church. But to have a worshipping church, you've got to have worshipping individuals in that church. And so let us pray, let us pray that we would worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Because as we do that, we're preparing the way for him to come and his manifest presence to come and for his glory on Glory Hill to be revealed. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, take the words that have been spoken this morning. Lord, we pray, Lord, may it not just be another message, but, oh, God, oh, God, do something. Lord, only you can do it. But put something in our hearts, in our spirits. Give us a hunger and a thirst to have a deeper relationship with you, to know you, to be still, to know that you are God. Oh, God, Lord, we know you are seeking worshippers. And may you find worshippers here in Mount Zion Church. Oh God, oh God, take us on in worship to glorify you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you as the musicians come.